This is part two of chapter six, the malignment of alignment. Go ahead, Tom. Make your stupid joke. I used it up already. It was a one per day. Mm, womp womp. It's mm. not a recharge on a D6. No, it recharges on a long rest, so I gotta sleep before I can make another one. <laughs> Sounds like quite the refractory period for you. <laughs> Alright, so in part two, we're going to talk about how game masters should run alignment to make their games, you know, fun and make alignment make games more fun. In part one, we talked about the concept of alignment and why so many people have trouble with it, and a little bit of the history about it, if you haven't heard that yet. And in part three, we're going to talk about how to roleplay alignment without fucking your game up. So let's start with a couple of alternative perspectives of alignment. This is something that we talked about in the last podcast, but one of the ways alignment can be used instead of just your personal moral compass is as your faction. And this is really something that I think should be brought back to the game a little bit. Faction presents this kind of cool idea, if you didn't listen to the last one, in older iterations of D&D, there were three factions, quote-unquote, and you might be able to have a common language with different monsters or different creatures based on your faction rather than just having the common tongue, which not everybody spoke. So that's something that we could see return to the game a little bit. Faction might be something that we could see, say, does your orderly cleric get along with the devils which are like a an orderly kind of fiend they're like lawful evil are they able to speak a common language are they maybe even on the same side in some ways is your uh chaotic barbarian assuming he's chaotic most of them should actually be neutral is he maybe able to talk to the fae that's something that we could see where maybe uh, monsters are a little bit friendlier to you. But in order to do this, you have to make your players pick a primary faction. So if you're lawful good, don't make it a part of two factions. It's going to be too complicated for players. Be like, are you a part of the good faction or a part of the lawful faction? I like the idea also that in this faction verse, you might not necessarily have a choice in your alignment and that you are perhaps born into it i was going to say either born into it or coerced or forced into it now be careful dear if you say faction verse too many times marvel's gonna make a tv show of it Ugh. so you can see this a little bit in lord of the rings where the majority of orcs don't really like sauron at all but they're enslaved <clears throat> You also see that in real life a little bit, where you have, like, child soldiers that, like, mm. don't understand the cause they've been conscripted to necessarily, or don't even have a chance to disagree with the cause. Perhaps we're all victims of brainwashing, which is our real faction. You two are probably going to groan, but you actually see this a lot. Harry Potter, you're going to say Harry Potter, aren't you? Nope. Great. Thank you. Magic the Gathering? All right. Less bad. Um, so, a lot... There's a five color colors in magic the gathering um and they don't necessarily in fact they often don't reflect like whether uh, a character or a monster is good or evil but the colors or common color or combination of colors that a character is will kind of tell you what they're about so like blue and white are generally more like orderly um more focused on like civilization and building things red and green or more chaotic more about natural things black is like all about um death so the different combinations of these colors can do different things so like 
blue and white, like I said, very orderly, very concerned about rules and laws and enforcing them. Red and white, also very concerned about rules and laws, but they're much more martial. They're much more combat focused rather than like, let's debate this for five hours and come to a decision. So what you're kind of saying is if you wanted to incorporate this into your game, maybe as a GM, you could say uh, this is the lawful good faction. This is the chaotic good faction. This is the neutral good faction. Um, Is that kind of what... So these factions have tendencies towards this that are a little bit law and a little bit good, rather than just picking one of the alignment axes as your faction. Yeah, you could do you could do it that way. You could have um, kind of a, a nine or five um, faction system mm-hmm. that it, it may not exactly describe what your character is, but it's like the closest to it. Yeah, and, and that could that could introduce some sort of tension right there, right? Like. Maybe you're not exactly on board with what your faction wants to do, but it's not like you have any better choices. Yeah, you're in the good, the evil faction. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. One of the things to also consider with this is language. Um, We talked about this in the last podcast, but if you didn't listen to that, in the older versions of D&D, there were specific languages for lawful, chaotic, and neutral. So that might be something to add to your game. Uh, those languages that you might share with some creatures. Maybe you've got a little secret side conversation going on with the harpies or whatever. Listen, if you grew up in the hood in one city and you go to another city, <laughs> you can speak the same hood language. Oh my god. Oh, that is how it works. <laughs> I think we just just uncovered some more unintended racism in older editions of D&D. <laughs> All right. So another perspective that you could run, which is very different than factions, is your nature. Alignment doesn't just have to be your moral compass in the active sense that your character specifically has chosen to be lawful or chosen to be good. What if it is just your character's nature, and in that way, it's inescapable, not because it is actually happening uh, from an outside force that you are pushed towards evil or pushed towards good, but that your interpretations of things inherently push them towards evil or push them towards good. So, one of the old examples from my childhood that I happen to show Tom that we'll, we'll link on our summary of this video is the old Batman cartoon. Harley Quinn tries to go straight for a day. Not oh. the straight that you might be thinking of. This isn't that different, cartoon. different kind of straight. This isn't that cartoon. She's already straight. <laughs> so she decides she's going to go shopping and Harley Quinn is chaotic, even though she's been released from Arkham and officially declared sane, according to the stamp on her release papers. And she decides that she's going to go shopping and shopping doesn't go the way she wants. You know, people are eyeing her funnily because she's going down the street with roller skates and hyenas. And at the store, she gets stopped on the way out because she just grabbed a dress that she did pay for, but she forgot to have the stamp removed and security tries to stop her and she starts yelling at security. She gets upset and she goes in the dressing room and comes out in her Harley Quinn costume and she's right back. And she goes, oh, it's society's fault. That's her nature. She's chaotic. A normal person might just see that as a bad day or a series of mix-ups. But Harley Quinn, 
Her nature is chaotic. Even when reality is not conspiring to make her choose chaos, she is choosing to be chaotic. And that's kind of the, what if that's just an inescapable part of your character's nature? And I have a, an example of this. It's one of my favorite scenes from Lord of the Rings, the actual books. It's when... Wait, there are books? It's when Samwise is tempted by the ring. Uh, I believe he is carrying Frodo up the mountain, or maybe he's carrying the ring to him. I see. This is the part of the movies where Samwise was not deciding to go straight. And the ring tempts him, and it shows him as like this heroic figure putting on the ring and leading the charge against Mordor, saving the day and turning the entire valley into... A, a garden, which is, of course, because Samwise is a big gardener. So ultimately, he resists it, realizing it's a trick, and it's noted that it's his simple hobbit sense, his good nature that allows him to resist it. And the text says, the one small garden of a free gardener was all his need and do, not a garden swollen to a realm. So in other words, contrary to the stereotype we would have, which is you can resist evil because you're so mighty. In fact, he resisted evil or he resisted the temptation because he was small and he was aware that he was small. Whereas a mightier man might be more tempted by leading the charge with a sword of fire and turning the valley into a garden. Or perhaps wielding the ring against the enemies in order his enemies to impress his father. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Daddy issues. That is always something that you can try to play with, and that's something that you can definitely go over with your players. Um, another option, uh, this is one that I like, which is sort of the opposite of nature or sort of included with your nature, which is your destiny. This means that in the cosmic balance of good, evil, law, or chaos, you are ultimately a force for whatever your alignment is. You know, there are people that are chaotic and then things just seem to happen to them. Some people are just a force of entropy and chaotic things happen even when they're not being chaotic. There are good people that uh, they're going to be driven to the path to good, even if they want to do nothing, even if they want to just have a garden, they're going to end up swept on an adventure doing good. Um, A totally different way to play alignment, but it is something that obviously it should still influence their behavior. Like if you have a love of good alignment, you're not going to be like stealing and murdering your way down the street. But it is something that you can always choose to say like, oh, yeah, this is this is your character's destiny in the cosmic scheme of things. You are ultimately a force of this. So one additional way that I've thought of to look at alignment or think about alignment. So we've talked about a faction approach. We've talked about um, it's kind of an ingrained nature. We've talked Mm -hmm. about your destiny as like you're no matter what you do, you're kind of destined to play out to this alignment yeah another way to look at it is it's not so much what your character is now but it's what they aspire to be yes so if you aspire to be lawful good you can make mistakes you can fall short Mm -hmm. but it's like a goal you're trying to get to and maybe maybe you define that a little bit more in your world absolutely um but it's like the the ideal your character is striving for. If you want to be chaotic, neutral, right? 
you don't want to be tied down by any authority. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you might realize, okay, I have to follow the rules here because if I don't, they'll kill me. Or Which is something yeah, we will absolutely talk about with the um, uh, when we talk about playing it. A good note on that, though, is nobody wants to be evil or very few people want to be evil. So you talked about it's what you aspire to be, which is a really good point. So people that are lawful good know they aspire to be lawful good. To me, an evil character doesn't necessarily aspire to be evil, but they have aspirations that are evil. That other or, people would consider evil. Yes, or even just so incredibly selfish that mm-hmm. if I'm an enchanter and I aspire to use my magic to enslave lots of local tavern women... I don't necessarily think I'm evil, but everyone else is I looking at me. I just want people to love me. Well, I just want the love of a woman. At least for and a good I'm night. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it however I can. With magic. Yeah. Yes. And so you probably don't think you're evil, but everyone else is like, bro, that's evil as fuck. What's wrong with you, man? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point, Jake. So moving on from that, though. A few ways, a few uh, tips and tricks for how to run alignment, regardless of kind of how you're going to view it. And this is assuming a more default view of alignment, which is a moral compass. Alignment is not a code of conduct, unless you are a paladin or really a cleric. It should be a code of conduct, but that's not exactly the same thing. But alignment is not your character has rules that you have to follow. So... A character that is lawful good doesn't necessarily have rules. They don't have to look into the player's handbook and go, gee, I need to always follow this definition of behavior for my alignment. It is not not strictures that your character is following unless you're like a religious order. Yeah, A lawful good character can lie. A lawful good character can break laws that uh, they think are immoral. And sometimes the lawful good characters can be the most evil characters mm-hmm. when they believe they are serving law and good, which is kind of a gray area in what their real alignment is. But you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Another thing is, as a GM, alignment is not a source of punishment. I cannot emphasize enough that alignment is almost never something that you punish a player for unless they're deliberately, like, fragrantly trying to act counter their alignment. Fragrantly? Like, with good smells? (laughs) Flagrantly. (laughs) I haven't even been drinking. Uh, Flagrantly attempting to, and fragrantly. If your player chose a paladin of good and then they're randomly choosing to, like, steal and torture and all that shit, you can kind of take them aside and be like, hey... This really isn't something your character would do, but it's not a beat stick for those emotional moments that make sense. You know, if if, if the action makes sense, you don't use that to kind of hammer players into acting a certain way. Alignment's a tool to encourage role playing. It's not there to put like bumpers on player activity. Mm-hmm. I think a trap you can fall into, too, is like if you're writing an adventure, have something designed and you put in a hook. Because you know the party is a good party, or you know that they're chaotically aligned party. Mm-hmm. And they don't take the hook. That's a very good segue, but you are correct. Set a party alignment. This is probably the most concrete advice we can give you. A party alignment does not mean 
everybody has to be that alignment. Um, there was a game that was a conversion of the old module, the Temple of Elemental Evil, that we played a long time ago. And one of the things that they did in there that I always thought was cool was that you got to set what your party's alignment was, and then everybody in the party could only be one step away from that. So if this is a neutral good adventure, you can have chaotic good people, you can have lawful good people, you can have neutral people, but you can't have chaotic neutral people because they don't really serve any purpose there, and you definitely can't have any evil people. I always found that to be a really good tool because that way, when you're the GM, you can write those hooks you were talking about around like, this is the hook for you guys. You got to follow this. This is this is what the party is. This this is what the group has decided. The type of thing that you are interested in doing. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, if if you write a hook for a whole party to latch on to, it's much more likely to land than if you write a hook for a single character to help. And it's kind of like a new player mistake or a new GM mistake to look at all the freedom you have in role playing games, which is the idea of like, oh, I can have any reaction to this and to think it's wrong to sort of give your characters like guidelines or limitations like that's something early GMs can be really shy about. Like, well, it's your character. You play it how you want. And I stabbed the guard in the eye because I'm chaotic. Chaotic, better roll the dice to see if I do that. Oh, God. It's okay to put those strictures on and be like, nah, this is a good aligned adventure, guys. So you all need to be, if not good, good ish. And what I would also say to that is be very careful if you are going to make exceptions. There are exceptions. I have played evil in good parties before. I've seen evil played. Uh, Good in an evil party is possible, but you kind of have to work it out. But figure out why the characters are all there. Don't just let someone play the exception because, you know, your, your girlfriend wants to play evil. Like, don't do that, man. It's not good. That's a red flag, by the way. Yeah, that is a red flag. A GM with a girlfriend, I'll say. (laughs) Oh, really, though? Another tip right away. Ask your players what their alignment means to them. So just be like, hey, you put lawful good on your character sheet. Uh, What does that mean to Flognar the Barbarian? And it may mean something very different to that character, but that gives you an idea. Like I said, alignment's just a stepping stone. It's a tool to move forward. Um, Anything that anything you use should be making the game more fun, not less. Another thing to ask them when you ask them what alignment means to them is do they have any exceptions? Flognar the Barbarian might be neutral good, but he might also be incredibly violent, which is not something we associate with neutral good, but he may just take a really strong stance against evil, and that's okay, that's his character. We're going to end that there. Do go ahead and listen to part one, where we discuss the concept of alignment and the history of alignment, why it's a little bit troublesome for players. And in part three, we're going to talk about how to roleplay alignment, probably the one with the most practical advice of these three podcasts.